Hey, are you looking to upgrade your key life areas and evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness personal growth and spirituality in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which uniquely fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary self-growth and spiritual disciplines to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you unleash your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present, and let's dive in. What would you do if you were raised in a country that was torn by war? If you were raised in a landscape where people who were close to you were losing their lives and there was tragedy and conflict for years and that you had to endure and that you had to look over your shoulder just to check that you're going to be safe from a day-to-day basis. And how would you conduct yourself and raise yourself from that platform and make something of your life. Well, I'm delighted to have with me somebody who's done just that and so much more. Somebody who has come from a landscape of conflict and has turned it round through a journey of inner transformation. She is the partner to a spiritual master, a very renowned worldwide guru, She and her partner travel and have a family of spiritual students across the planet in four continents, teaching, sharing love, giving wisdom, and being a mentor to many, many people around the world, and a sort of mother, father, and sister figure I'm delighted to have with me, the wonderful Devi. Namaste. Thank you so much. Wow, that's a beautiful intro. I've never been introduced like this. There Grand. Is, it all comes from my heart and it, it is a reflection, actually. It is a reflection of the significance of your name. You've been bestowed a name that is great power, Devi. Devi in the Sanskrit tradition, for those of you who are listening, invokes the feminine divine. Shakti and Devi are two terms that are used to describe the female aspect of the divine, the female aspect of God. That is a powerful name and it means that it is invoking and recognizing for us that there is great Shakti, there is great power within the feminine form and that it is such a raw, transformative and healing power that the very name itself reminds us that we need to pay our homages to the feminine aspect, to all women who are here on this planet, to honor them and to bring out the best in them. And therefore, the name has been preferred onto you, I fear, for a very important reason. <laughs> yes, uh, I changed my name to Devi three years ago, and it was uh, quite a shock for friends from, uh, and family in my country because first I'll change my last name to Mohan which is unusual in the Balkan region and then I changed my first name to Devi so it's like nobody knows where you're from you know when you say Devi Mohan like it could be from India or anywhere uh, so some people felt that I'm kind of denying my roots that I'm not being <clears throat> you know truthful or 
So um, I explain this in the following way. Um, you know, as we journey through life, we, uh, our main aim is to, first of all, be truth to ourselves, truthful to ourselves, you know. We, we fear to be judged by others. We, we are worried that others will not like us. But this name is my truth. Uh, I have um, been guided through like five, six different synchronicities that Dave is the name for me. And then I really seriously contemplated on that. And my first encounter with Moranji in 2007, when he gave me the first Shaktipad, the transfer of energy onto the third eye, uh, Shirdi Sai Baba came. His subtle presence was there. He spoke to Moranji and he said that the highest version of me is Devi. Is, uh, he said, in fact, Mother Mary, because that's the way I related to Devi at that time. I was not familiar with other aspects. I discovered that later on through my spiritual experiences. Uh, so the Mother Mary uh, or, or Divine Feminine was the aspect I connect the most uh, in my um, uh, life, uh, situations of life danger and all that. It was initially her. I, I felt her presence and I was really protected. So in India they say if you get a name that really res resonates with you and, and brings out the highest in you uh, and people call you by, by that name every day, that aspect of you grows. So it's really wise to have such a name. And I really honor this tradition in India. I think it's really, really brilliant. So why wouldn't I change the name, you know? If, uh, so I decided to change it and I love the sound of it. Another thing is Biljana, is, uh, well, my initial name is written B-I-L-J and used to be called Biljana. And it was just like, you know, just hurts to hear <laughs> your name being distorted. So right, right, right. I was just like, it's so simple, Devi Mohan. I don't have to worry about the pronunciation, it's so much easier. And plus, I, lo I love the vibration of the name. So there it is, Devi Mohan. <laughs> I love it. Well, Devi, not every day you come across somebody who has had the upbringing that you have had. And it's a wonderful feeling to sit with somebody who is able to smile, <laughs> who is able to laugh, despite all the challenges and the turmoil that you've yourself experience in your life and I want to if you don't mind I want to indulge our audience and take us back a little bit tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you were raised because mm -hmm. I know that you're Serbo-Croatian origins yes but I also know that you've had some very difficult times when you're there and I'd love you yeah. to share that a little bit with our audience well, um, in 1991, the war started and we had a conflict in Croatia. I'm of Serbian ethnicity, which I didn't even know because we were all Yugoslavs. You know, we had Tito as a president. I didn't know I was Serbian, honestly. I was a bit disappointed when I <laughs> found that out because I was in Croatia and all my friends were Croatians. I remember the day when my dad told me, actually, we are Serbs. I said, what? And how can that be? And then it was like that twilight zone feeling, like suddenly I'm uh, you know, uh, noticing these comments about the Serbs, and I know that I'm one. And it's a horrible feeling when people start making this, um, you know, nationalistic comments, the degrading comments, and all this. So that started. So I was 14 when my childhood finished, because the moment you start experiencing a life danger and all that, you, there's no more childhood. It's gone. You know, we had to really be alert. We had to we listen to stories of people getting killed, my dad being the next one on the list and all sorts of stuff. So we left early morning, five o'clock from our home. Let, let, let's just be clear here. We're talking about 
nothing short of civil war. Yeah. The entire Balkan region. Fratricidal wars. Was going on. There was ethnic cleansing going on. Families split. So initially... If you found out you were Serbian, what could have happened? I mean, uh, I just know that my best friend who lived across the street from us, her father was beaten to death. He he remained alive only because his wife was a nurse and she followed those who uh, abducted her husband and then she gave him first aid and he remained alive. And we knew that my dad was last on the list. That's all I know. He's done nothing, you know, and uh, it was just a campaign that started and nation- nationalism. I really don't want to go into the story because it was a that, number. It was going on for years well, and you had uh, to raise that. That's no, just, that was in 91 when it started. Then I was a refugee. We, we moved to Serbia thinking we'll just go there for two weeks, but we right. had to stay. And then I became the refugee. I mean, I simply had nothing. I had to wear my clothes in the Red Cross. I was laughed at at school, you know, and children can be very ruthless. So it was really tough. And uh, my dad was forced to go back and, and like fight in the war, even though he didn't want to, but there was no in that moment there was no solution no that he solution. couldn't hide it would be humiliating so it was really uh, my grandparents stayed in a house in croatia and we heard that because they had a big beautiful big house the croatian nationalists they wanted to kill them and take it as their headquarters so uh, every day facing that insecurity i'm going to lose everything all my love beloved family only my sister my mom and i we were in serbia and we had no relatives in serbia right. so we were literally left to red cross and then at one point we were uh, even told by this humble accommodation accommodation that we had we were told by that lady who was some distant aunt somebody that sorry we we can't keep you because our son likes to have the entire floor for himself and we were like totally okay so we go literally on the street we were just totally i remember my mom's hair turned gray in one day it was like you know too much of because you get complete insecurity. And then out of that, we ended up in a house mm-hmm. with a man who had another 30 refugees in the house. And he knew my dad. They met twice. So he was not a relative or anything. And we stayed in a room without windows in the middle of the winter. We ate only like a big bucket of cabbage every day or beans. That's all. Nothing else. And I remember I was like really skinny and I was depressed. and. And from that pain, I remember one day uh, I, uh, I had like epiphany uh, experience. Uh, it happened like after, for one month I was looking forward to a cake. My right. mom uh, said that she, for my birthday, she will make me a cake. And that was like the only good thing I, I was, I had something to look forward to, right? right? And that day came and I came to the house, finally I will taste something other than something. cabbage and beans, right? right? And I entered, I just see my mom with tears. I see a tray with crumbs and she's like, I'm so sorry, I went to the toilet and the other refugees, they just grabbed the cake. And I just like stood there. I just couldn't believe it, you know, like I, I couldn't even get one bite of cake. So I got angry at God, you know, I was pissed. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I went to that room, a uh, room with no windows, with like, uh, there was just a bed with a cover. And I cried for like two hours and then crying, crying. Suddenly there was like from deep inside, there was this uh, realization from it. Then I'm not a victim. You know, I'm not this poor, miserable, somebody wailing and crying here. How old were you in that realization? 14. Yeah. Just 14. That's when it happened. And that was the trigger, you think? Yes. When that incident happened, there was It just came. 
from from within and then i looked like okay objectively this is exactly what monji is teaching don't use emotions use the intellect in those moments using my intellect i tried to understand what can i do what can i do to raise myself out of this mis misery and my the answer was i can study you know i can be a great student and i can restore my self-esteem i may not have the nice clothes and all the stuff but i can be a great student so within at that time, I couldn't even read Cyrillic alphabet because I, I, was, I felt like an idiot. You know? I couldn't read. They had a different program in mathematics. I was behind and I didn't have inspiration to study. I was depressed. So when this happened, I started studying. I took a torch in a flashlight under the bed in that room with no windows and I was studying for hours under the bed, bed cover. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then within two weeks, I became the best student. Uh, but the moment that the transformation that happened was that in the uh, Serbian literature class, the professor asked, can you write uh, an essay with the topic children at war? And it just came after this experience. I just felt I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them how much I suffered. And, and I just it opened, flowed. It flowed from my heart. I just wrote this essay and it came out to be like the best essay ever. She went to the director and read it to him. The whole the professors gathered. They decided that this girl should read this essay to all the children at school. So just imagine she comes in the middle of the class uh, to me and she says, the director is calling you to his office. And I went there, he said, please have a seat. I would like you to share this with all the children. We're going to stop all the classes now. And all the speakers in the classrooms were tuned in to his microphone. And I had to read this <laughs> essay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but it's very intimate. I don't know, I may be crying. And he said, I will hold your hand. You know, he's such a lovely man. And this was my experience. And I read this out. It was like magic wand. All those mean children who were calling me ugly names and all that, they all became loving towards me. I suddenly had so many fans in the school. I was like the some kind of a celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that was like amazing. And that's where I understood the power of actually opening your heart. You know, simply say. So I say this to people who suffer, don't just close yourself. You know, share share with others. I'm I'm in pain. I need help, you know, and share your humanity, share your love. Share your humanity. I think that's, exactly, a, yeah. that's a powerful theme. I think it's easy for us to get caught up in our emotions and our inside world. Yeah. And we don't realize the importance of vocalizing that. Yeah. It's as if our throat chakra gets blocked and we can't utter and speak that yeah. truth. Or if we do, we're scared that we'll be judged yeah but a 14 year old who was deprived of cake <laughs> who had an epiphany moment is a, a perfect example of how you can just speak yeah outpour let it come out but this story continues i have to now share with you till the end uh 10 years later um i'm uh, no how many years later this was in uh, 91 in 2014 so it's 13 years later uh, I uh, got this amazing scholarships, $40,000 for Italy, then $40,000 for master's degree in America, which was like amazing scholarship. I, don't, I have no, without any connections, I won this. It's just the grace that came from that moment when I decided I'm not the victim. I will raise myself through education. The law of attraction worked and it just brought me this amazing scholarships. So here I am at Notre Dame, the super fancy Ivy League university in America, and I made this um, Ferdinand Rocanti, Italian guy who had 
uh, who was about to kill himself and Mother Mary came to him and he started having this communication with Jesus and Mother Mary and he's quite known, you can find him on, on, on YouTube. And uh, so this Ferdinand Ocanti, I somehow have, uh, happened to meet him in his house. A friend of mine brought me there. And um, we spoke and shared and, and I laughed. And my mom, he said, well, you know, Jesus gives me messages for people. And so I got one message for you. And it's time now for me to share it with you. So I don't know what it means because I don't know your story. But this is what it is. So I'm looking and suddenly he goes, Barbara, his wife, and she comes and she brings the cake. <laughs> a cake. <laughs> but not just any cake. It's exactly the cake I imagine my mom would make. Half uh, chocolate, half vanilla, kind of with, with biscuits. It's unbelievable. She even got the recipe. 13 years later. Yes. My gosh. And I just, when I saw <laughs> the cake, I just cried, you know, because this is my cake. And he said, see, uh, this is the message from you, from God, that you were always loved. Uh, you like divine love is never removed from you. You just sometimes go through tough experiences to actually meet yourself. To meet yourself. To toughen up, develop your wings. You know. So it was so touching. You know. Like I, it was like unbelievable that this guy got this message about the cake. And he asked me, "Can you explain why this cake means a lot to you?" So I shared with him the story about my refugees days and all that suffering. So that's how the full circle was made. Just imagine. When I was a kid, if somebody told me you'll be studying in America and there will be the cake will come to you 13 years later, it's you, like you couldn't make that stuff no, up. No, no, even I have not even seen it in Hollywood, to be honest. <laughs> well, talking of Hollywood, let's let, let's let's talk about the 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 world stage that, that that's that's kind of brought you where you are here today. Because I get that you are a very successful student and. Getting into an Ivy League college is, is, is a major achievement in anyone's books. But I sense that the Devi who was there then was feeling materially fulfilled. But was there a voice inside you? Was there ever that voice saying, what is this all about? Is there, is there a higher purpose? Yeah. Well, uh, when I was in America, I was about to graduate. Um, I came across a book. It's called Autobiography of a Yogi. Have you heard of it? Paramahamsa Yogananda. Yogananda is the, the last book found on Steve Jobs' yes, iPad. Exactly. The only book. So my story with this book was, uh, this book changed my life. Honestly, it was the guru in that moment. Uh, this book, uh, I, I was on my way to the restroom when I felt a vibration coming from a bookshelf and it was tickling me. I was like, what's this? So I come with a hand there are many books and there's this orange cover and I pick it up, Autobiography of a Yogi. So just to give you a background on this, uh, three years before that, when I was in Rome doing my undergraduate studies, one night I was, uh, suddenly I felt I should look at the candle, just throw a light from my third eye to the candle and back and I did that for like half an hour and I entered into some state, uh, elevated state of consciousness and I just lie down but I wasn't sleeping. And as, as I was lying down, I just went into conscious astral travel. And at that time, I didn't know I had astral body, but I just knew that it's all the same. I know who I am, I know everything, but I don't have a body. And when I think I want to go faster, I go faster. When I think I want to go, to go slower, I go slower, up and down. It's like a private jet, you know, <laughs> that you're just yeah. with your thoughts, you're directing where to go. And at that moment, I saw 
a huge desert. I was hovering on top of a huge desert and there was a dot that attracted me. And then I landed there and there was this indescribably beautiful young yogi with slim waist, long hair, sitting graciously like this on a very royal chair. It had like uh, precious stones embedded in it. And I looked and I just couldn't get, I couldn't get enough. It was unbelievable, an unbelievable tejas, as he says, you know, the, the glow, the beauty. Yeah. And my moment, I thought, if I could only see his eyes, I will recognize him even maybe years later. And then when he opened his eyes, there was, it was like a moment of initiation. It was, uh, I could see galaxies inside the eyes and my aura started like expanding in all directions. And it was like, so intense. So there was a moment, if I was able to let go at that time, the bubble would burst, the bubble of the ego would burst, but I was scared. I just didn't, I, I couldn't take any more, I couldn't contain that energy. And then he saw that and he smiled and he said, what are you doing here? You're not ready yet. And then he sent me back. back so I, went, I contracted back into my body and it was like shaking for like two, three minutes. And then I slept for like 10 hours. But when I woke up, I was like, that and then the searching I was searching what was that who was that I you know I wanted to get back to this expanded state but I didn't know how I didn't know who he was so this went on for a couple of years you know I didn't have friends around me who understood these matters all you had at that time was had the book had entered your life uh, only after three years later when I was in America going to the toilet this book tickled me I oh, opened so this it. incident was before oh that was three years before three years before <laughs> You're telling me. Yeah, I had an astral, astral experience uh, with the master, right? A, 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 a Balkan top performing student had an experience <laughs> out of her body, literally, of an ancient Eastern master. Yeah, I didn't know who he was. There, there, so, there, could have been no, there could have been no premonition, there could have been no uh, coercion or anything nothing. that could have that preempted my, that. It yeah, just my first experience happened. with any yogi, you know? Just it happened. Just happened, one night. Okay, so fast forward, three years on. Yeah, three years on. I, You're this still book, searching? Uh, yeah, this book uh, finds me, literally, tickles me. I open it up and I open it. I remember today, right on the left-hand side, there's this big, colorful photo of a, this young yogi with slim waist and long hair sitting and it's written below Mahavatar Babaji so it's like oh my god that's him because it's clearly him there's no confusion that's incredible like, because I've seen when you said that image I've seen the picture in the book in Yogananda's book Mahavatar Babaji is just that jet black long hair slim waist sitting in a amazing, perfect posture amazing beauty and, and that power. was the image you had seen in your travel three years before. Yeah, and Incredible. then I just couldn't wait till I read this Incredible. book to find out whom I met. Oh my God, when I read, I couldn't wait for the spring break, it was three days later. I sat by the lake. I told my friends, I'm not going anywhere, leave me alone for a couple of days, I'm reading this book. And the swans were coming towards me on the, from the lake and I was reading and crying. And that Lahiri Mahasaya talks about how he encounters Babaji and he tells him, I watched you over the oceans of life and death. I watched you enter your mother's womb. I watched you go through your childhood and adult years until you matured enough to meet me, to recognize me. Oh my God, I was like, <laughs> because I just could not believe to that. Yeah. You know, I could not believe that I could meet him. You know, I could meet this master. And then everything else fell just like, 
the studies, the career, the meeting in Chicago with some Rockefeller people. I could have gone through any of the careers I wanted because they all found my story interesting, the war, the, the, the. I was not interested in this diplomacy career, in politics, in any of it. It just went out of my system. It was like a complete shift. Because Yogananda said, uh, if you observe the intellectuals, all they do is parroting. As Aristotle said, and then they go on quoting somebody, showing their erudition and their eloquence, and it's all empty pots. Well, let me say, um, Swami Prabhupada, the founder of the ISKCON movement, the Hare Krishna mm. movement, was famous for saying, uh, a philosopher is not a philosopher unless he disagrees with another philosopher. <laughs> and just goes so there's on just and a on. lot of tennis yeah. going on there. Yeah. But there are people who are able to connect straight to the Akash, the Akashic records, the library of all knowledge, past, present and future, and download stuff. You know, isn't that greater than just the books? I mean, it's far greater. It's like opening the whole new horizon. So if we work on elevating our consciousness to a point where we can download and we open to that grace and to that supreme knowledge, it moves beyond any of our frames, our dogmas, our ideas of reality. It moves into the reality, the source of knowledge, right? right. So Yogananda explained how he uh, learned English, you know, in that way, just got downloaded, and Vivekananda did the same, and right. you know. So these masters became my ideal. You know, I, my aim of my life became: I want to elevate my consciousness. I want to find this yoga, this kriya, these gurus. You know, I. This is what I want. Um, it's an interesting point you say. You, 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 you. Remind me of some of the teachings uh, from the ancient studies that I studied myself uh, about the principle of acquisition of knowledge. Then that knowledge in a person arises in one of three different ways. Sambandha, Abhideya and Prayojan. Mm -hmm. And Sambandha is the process uh, where we are trying to infer knowledge from our own experimentation. Yeah. Uh, Abhideya takes it one step forward where you're collaborating with others, you're looking at nature around you, and then you're making observations, and you're hearing from people around you. Yeah. But prayojan is the process, uh, the closest word in English is to download. Yes. It's kind of what you're saying, that prayojan is the process through which we receive knowledge is transmitted and received, and not inferred. It is yeah. actually absorbed from a higher source. Yes. And that's something I think, obviously, it, that the Western scientific tradition may not really appreciate, but for a mystic, a yogi from the Eastern mm. tradition, it is the most fundamental means by which knowledge is acquired through that meditation, because the knowledge is coming from within. Yes. And in that book, uh, first thing I understood is like there are practices like Kriya and Yoga, where you can actually cleanse your system, open up to withstand this powerful energy. Like I, I, when I saw Babaji, I could not withstand. It was too powerful. That means my meridians were blocked. So I first have to prepare my system, right? So there's that aspect of cleansing and preparing. The other is being the company of masters. You know, he said the greatest thing was that he was with Sri Yukteswar. You know, he was in the physical presence of a of master. master. He said that's the highest blessing you can get because uh, the the traps on the path are so many. You can f take side side roads you know, on your path and waste a couple of years on something that you realize actually is not for you. There are so many traps, you know, because you're entering into unknown territory when you start expanding in consciousness. Right. Without a guide, 
it's highly unlikely that you will get to the destination in this life you know right. i mean there are of course other lives other opportunities but we want to maximize the time we have in this body so for that you need a guru because then he he sees you for who you are and he wants to bring out your highest potential so that's the greatest so i said yeah so i want cleanse myself yoga kriya i want to find a guru and uh, i want to third was i want to use my life for the higher purpose to serve humanity i, I don't that was my my thing but wait a minute i want to interrupt here mm. devi you uh already in your life up to that point doing some incredible things in terms of service to the global stage you were working with the united nations and i, yeah. I know we haven't had a chance to touch on that but were you not uh in a career a successful career no less uh in the united nations working mm -hmm. with diplomats ambassadors from across the world and serving in some way you were doing that so let me ask you this what was it that you felt was missing then in that career what did you feel was perhaps the key the the part of the jigsaw that wasn't there that came to light later in your spiritual awakening uh when i was working for un uh my first job was was after high school uh so at that time uh, i was just it opened my horizons the cosmopolitan spirit i really appreciated united nations for that i could talk to a guy what do you do what do you have for breakfast in fiji or what do you, you know it's like amazing whole new world Uh, I, I understood the the mentality of the Muslim population, like the guys from Jordan. I understood the cultural differences, and it was like a really actual life education, right? So it was very difficult for me after that to go back to Serbia and be among the usual students of my age group. When I was already, you know, gone, I was all my friends were in their 40s, you know, so I was like used to that. I could, I just couldn't go back, so I couldn't adjust, and I went back to UN. So I went back to UN in Kosovo. So first it was Croatia, then Kosovo, but there it was really, really tough. Uh, actually, my life was in danger. I had a near-death experience. It was a really tough one year, uh, but at that time, the scholarship came uh, as a as a result of of my prayers to to actually fulfill my goal of higher education. You know, and. So it, it, all of the UN really gave me a chance to to take the next step. To it opened the world to me. So I'm forever grateful to United Nations. At the same time, there are a lot of disappointments. When I was in Kosovo, for example, I saw that things could be done better. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There, some people call it United nonsense, you know, because it could be much better, you know, and. Um, I felt I don't want to be one of those people who just complain. I don't like this. I'm like that. Gossip, you know. This is not the right thing. So I understood that my path is not uh, politics, diplomacy. Even though I studied that, I could easily now with my degree from Notre Dame, I could work in embassies. I could work in NGOs, like governmental organizations. Right, with that and that platform, you that, could do all yeah, of that. Yeah, but uh, spirituality, the essence of all the teachings being put into practice, being lived, being up, uh, uplifted, being brought closer to people and peacemaking through that, you know, and I've, I've seen that. I've seen that happen, um, for example, uh, with Monji, uh, now we are shifted, going back into this present time. Uh, we had a meet in, at Bosnian pyramids in Bosnia, there's actually a pyramid there. It has been a very beautiful, powerful energy. and. Monji came there, he spoke about this essence of all different religions, about uh, our inner truth, about living uh, that truth through our daily life, expressing that, radiating that. And then 
we noticed there are people from all the former republics of Yugoslavia who gathered. So he said it took an Indian man to bring all you guys back together, you know, because we fell apart through these wars and all that. Yeah. And we came back uh, meeting around the master, you know. So the energy of the source, uh, the energy of purest unconditional love unites. And that brings people together, not the intellectual understanding, oh, we should not fight. That doesn't hold water. The moment there's another conflict, this intellectual understanding alone will not maintain the peace. It's actual recognition that there is uh, divine in me, divine in you, and we are actually one. And understanding that connection and feeling it, expanding your heart to a point where everything is embraced within you, right? So that it's got to do with awareness, with consciousness, not just intellectual understanding. It's not enough. So that was the missing key. Your work in the United Nations was certainly doing good. You're accomplishing things on a global stage. You are learning, you are growing and evolving as a person, but it seems that you found this missing element. You discovered it, and that could only be answered through a spiritual level. Yes. A level that the United Nations were perhaps missing. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> so let's fast forward again. So the spiritual journey, the awakening, and from reading the eponymous and pivotal book on spirituality. It was probably the most widely read uh, book of its kind in the world. Uh, that book is alive. It's not just it's a book. Just, it, it's it, alive. It's a guru. Yeah. It's a guru in itself. Yeah. From that foundation of your spiritual awakening to the journey that has happened to lead you here. Talk us through that a little bit. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I, after United Nations in Kosovo and graduation from Italy and America, my first job was in Dubai. In Dubai, uh, I worked for a while and I started traveling to India and I started learning yoga. I learned different pranayama techniques, breathing techniques, this, that. Uh, but the actual transformation happened uh, when I, I found the, the missing link. Uh, I realized that there was one thing missing in my life that was um, effective serving to others. I was part of another spiritual organization which called Seva. The service was promoting them. But I, I, I said, this is not Seva. I, I want to actually go into the actual charity. I wanted to offer myself uh, to, to humanity. I wanted to be the instrument of higher work, of reaching out to those who are refugees like me, who were in, who were bogged down by this illusion of being separate from divine, of being suffering, being poor me. Being, you know, that's all not true. And you yeah. can come out of it. And I wanted to reach out to those people, you know, but I didn't know how on my own. And um, I, one day I prayed that I want, I want to actually serve. And in my office, I was working for Australian company, some landscape architects. I was like office manager. And there was one Indian guy there and he told me, you know, there is a charity called Amukare and its founder Mohan. He's my friend. He, there's only a couple of us. But we're doing really great, you know, we, when we get together, even though there's a couple of people, we do great things because we have this pure intention and it, like, there are like relief work, really big stuff happening. So it's a small group of people doing great. I said, that's what I want. I want to be hands-on. I want to be with the team of people doing great things. 
So I said, can, I, can you introduce me to him? And he said, yeah, he's in this yoga program. And this yoga program was the first ever mega yoga course in Dubai uh, that happened through Art of Living Foundation. And I was a yoga teacher at the time. Uh, I became a yoga teacher. I was one of the five. So we had 350 people in Shangri-La Hotel. And one of these 350 was Mohanji. So um, this guy from the office, he said, I will introduce you to him. And when I met him, that's where my life changed. As a whole new uh, life started, because through Moenji, I actually started walking my path. This is how divine, divine put me on my path through Moenji. He uh, ended up being my spiritual master and my husband as well. And this was all blessed and guided by masters. It feels that from your story that <laughs> you, it, you were guided all along to this point yeah. where you meet not only your guru, yeah. but your life partner. Yes. Somebody who you will walk with, serve, be served by, and together do great service on yeah. a global stage, which you are, of course. Exactly. And that initially it, he was not, he was in the formation stage at that time. He was very introverted, very quiet. He didn't have long hair or anything. He looked just like any other Indian guy. But when I would look into his eyes, there was some, that similar feeling like with Babaji or there was something would happen. Uh, there was a deep recognition. I, I know these eyes, you know, it's just that familiarity and very good feeling. You just feel good. You had a sense of knowing. Yes. And uh, slowly we started journeying together and then everything came. Uh, I remember the first time when he sat with spine straight and he downloaded the entire blog. He started writing beautiful blogs. You can find them on Monji Chronicles WordPress uh, blog. So he wrote about Babaji, about Shirdi Baba, all the masters of our tradition. It, there was even one blog about Jesus and Mother Mary and, and that moment he was downloading, he went like, like this and cried. There were the tears of Mother Mary during crucifixion. I mean, he was connecting with those moments from the past. He was downloading the knowledge and, and even his body would change. Like when he wrote about Babaji, he would become slimmer. When he wrote about Shirdi Baba, his foot became longer. I mean, it's unbelievable. He just was an empty vessel through which all this beautiful uh, essence was flowing. He was channeling the essence of the Literally. masters. And I was so, so happy because this is what I longed for, you know. And I'm seeing all that happening through Manji. And by uh, working with him, I'm continuously continu uh, connected with that vibration. And uh, I know that this is my, my path of really as fast as possible going to that aim of reaching that dissolution in consciousness, that expansion which I tasted already. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. For our audience, if they are not sure what their purpose is, if they've not had the benefit or the experiences that you've had, the mystical experiences that you've had, what two or three things could they do to help find their purpose in life? Well, number one, you move out of focus on yourself. You ask, what can I do for, our, for others? What else can I do? This is Manji's favorite phrase. What else can I do? Uh, shift your attention to something greater than yourself, you know, and then you will start seeing that fulfillment. Actually, what we need is to start experiencing the fullness, that Purna state, you know, say the, Sampurna, Purna. Exactly. It's like the fullness to which nothing can be added or uh, taken away. It's just perfect by itself. 
uh, while in the body we want to experience this fullness you know uh, while if you're just chasing something okay now I want this now I want that and you're completely lost in this chase it's like a rat race and it never ends you know so you have to decide okay do I want to continue just chasing this something all the time and never being fulfilled or do I want to decide I want to be fulfilled I'm taking the step service is the step forward like what I've experienced now through ACK Foundation which is a charity that Moranji started um, and I'm now the global president of this charity I've seen lives transform you know I've seen literally how divine rewards you Moranji calls it a spiritual bank balance you really start feeling rich you know I honestly when I now travel I come to America with $100 and I come back with $100 because I have not spent $1. People are eager to host you, eager to be in your joy, in your energy because you start radiating that and people love to be with you and they want to host you, they want to take you places, they want to they offer to pay <laughs> for you. So in the end, I don't have to continuously be worried about myself. When you shift your awareness on others, the whole universe supports you, you know, and then it's like a completely different life. So I really would like to inspire people to start experiencing the joy of unity with others, of shared humanity, the beauty of our humanity. Mm. Not just competing with others, proving yourself, wasting your time on your ego personality and trying to maintain that and kind of polish that all the time. Which of course society places an expectation upon us, yeah. directly or indirectly and covertly or overtly, that expectation is there. We're, yeah. programmed almost to look for that the external and to present ourselves in a way that is going to be appealing to other people whereas actually the dialogue is yeah. inside here so charity is number one I would also encourage people to experience yoga actually yoga means union with divine and the way of reaching that union it's both the destination and the path you know and it's literally being natural you know, when you start start gaining the courage of just being yourself, you know, get become authentic. You know, I used to have flowers in my hair. I used to have, I like to wear different colors. So when I was in the office, that black and white and gray, oh, just completely black clothes or gray clothes with a little bit of white, no color. Oh, I can't stand it. That's not me. You know, I want to put flowers and butterflies in my hair. I want to have color. Like I like this desigual brands, all this kind of colorful stuff. And I don't want to be pushed into some kind of mm. rigid rule. You have to wear only this. You have to behave only like that. I don't even like in spiritual groups when we all have to salute in the same way, wear the same clothes. Who said so? You know, this is my wedding ring. It's on my left hand. It has the sign of eternity, two hearts flowing, not drawing energy from each other, but uniting in love. This was, when I saw this ring, I asked Manji, can this be my wedding ring? He said, yeah. Who said we have to have the golden one on the ring? You know, who come, came up with these rules? Who came up with it? Make your own rules. I like that. I like, that's a powerful lesson. Make your own rules. But I want to break a rule here. Let's talk about breaking one rule, Devi. Yoga's got a dirty name, dirty, dirty association with it now. It's, it's got a bad name because everybody seems to think yoga's just about wearing leotards, stretching and doing strange yeah, we have animal naked yoga poses. Also. <laughs> naked yoga, hot yoga, beer yoga. It's, no. it's gotten a bad rap, Davy. What you, you just touched on it there, the essence. What is that essence <clears throat> and what should we be trying to embrace as far as yoga is concerned? And also one more, why? 
why should we embrace it? Maybe people aren't interested in the physical aspect of yoga. Is yoga perhaps something deeper? Yeah. I would start with uh, my fellow yoga instructors. You know, I always say, do not compete one with, which one is more slim, more sexy, more flexible. Uh, this is all not yoga, you know, and yoga is not about just uh, having another uh, image of yourself projected through social media or through your behavior, you know. Now it's become like a f uh, fancy thing. Oh, I practice yoga. I practice shtanga. I do, but then I can't sleep at night, you know. When I hear yeah. this, it's like there's something wrong with your yoga. There's a disconnect. Yeah. The it, word means to unite. Yes, yeah, so, so there's totally something wrong with your yoga practice. Right. So the, I, I've seen this last uh, couple of years. I was really, I mean, I was happy that yoga got finally embraced globally and that prejudices has. of it being Hindu is broken. It's not Hindu. Yoga is for the whole world. And the masters who gave us the knowledge of yoga gave it selflessly without ever turning it into dogma. You know, it was given uh, through uh, um, telepathically and through direct uh, insight from one generation to another. And then Sage Patanjali just codified the knowledge. Codified but it was knowledge. always given selflessly. And it's, it's a method of cleansing within, expanding your consciousness, preparing your physical body for higher vibration, opening up the nadis, the meridians, and simply starting to elevate yourself into more and more expanded right. state. And it is the nature of love to expand. So social service, comes with yoga practice, non-violence comes with yoga practice. Naturally, when you practice yoga, you will at one point in time for sure stop eating meat because, or you will stop cursing and gossiping and all that. Anything that puts others down, that destroys life, that disconnects, does not vibrate with yoga. So either you start uh, with your current lifestyle practicing yoga uh, or you start really understanding the whole vibration that starts changing your energy blueprint literally your energy blueprint will change when you do yoga and when you do it properly we have now uh, a school called himalayan school of traditional yoga and i'm blessed to be serving on the board as its director and i do my best wherever i traveled recently i went greenland maldives uh, europe america uh, you know india wherever i go I bring the, proudly this banner because for me, uh, when I see this Himalayan school of traditional yoga, I see Babaji, I see the masters, I see that actual genuine spirit of yoga, of the actual masters. And I pray to be an instrument of that knowledge to flow through the school and through me as its instrument to share that knowledge. You know? So when we do the yoga class, we uh, involve the actual gratitude to the masters first from open heart to start focusing you use the asanas to really feel where the blockages are knowing that some scars the impressions are there that, that create this blockage of energy you breathe through them you start opening your meridians and then you do the uh, pranayamas to help that and in the end we do beautiful yoga nidra like 10 minutes minimum or 15 minutes and then we chant mantras and you really start feel that expansion so when you expand in the end and you soak it in you really feel a change has happened. So one class by another, you start changing your energy blueprint. And it's a beautiful way of uh, expanding into consciousness, into love. So I really, one of my favorite uh, things to is to teach yoga. I really enjoy it. It's, I feel it's my privilege and I really, really um, look forward to sharing that with the world more. Uh, we are now, uh, we started with teacher training courses as well. So the next one will be in India, in um, Rishikesh, in January or February, we're still finalizing the dates. 
and uh, it's beautiful to, to see people from different parts of the world coming together and actually when we chant mantras from Patanjali Yoga Sutras and we learn together it's just so beautiful uh, but the most important thing is to actually connect with the actual teachings don't try to create a new yoga you know now in the west it's like usp the unique selling point right oh, i have to create a new yoga so that my yoga is different and my yoga is done in uh dragon shaped uh, bikinis or god knows what and i'm and then we we invoke the <laughs> it's like becoming you know so silly you know you're... we're laughing here but the, the truth is actually scarily close to that it's becoming like ridiculous you know i'm sorry uh, that's not what you're supposed to not invent anything new. You're supposed to deepen yourself to actually, as a yoga teacher, you have a task to actually first intensely work on cleansing yourself so that you can become an instrument of that energy. And in your yoga class, through you, this can flow. Because teachers are important to uh, kind of um, anchor that energy, you know. So the teacher has, plays an important role in the class. And if the teacher is stressed out, smokes, drinks, eats meat and all that, it's not gonna, it's gonna, it's not gonna happen. Right. So well, I think that goes back to the, 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 the fundamental reason for yoga. The purpose of yoga is to unite, you know, yukta your, it comes from the Sanskrit yukta. Yes. And if we recognize that the purpose and of yoga, as you were alluding to, is to unite ourselves with our true source, our eternal spiritual state, and to reconnect us with our source, yeah. the spiritual divine, then anything and everything that we do, whether it's inside a yoga studio or outside a yoga studio, surely Devi, that is all supposed to be yoga. Yoga, therefore, is not just the practice of postures for 30 minutes a day. Mm. Actually, yoga is a way of life. It is a state of being. A state of being. It yeah. is a state of being. The practice with asanas and all simply helps you to get into that vibration. So you sit, you sit in the nature and just sit and suddenly you feel the oneness with the trees, with the grass, you know, that unity vibration starts radiating spontaneously. You get into the sp spontaneous kriyas, spontaneous processes. This is the point where you go beyond the techniques. And right? also beyond the experience of this physical body. Yes, yeah. transcending. To transcend. But still loving it and appreciating as your vehicle, you know. We have to also love our body, treat it right, uh, hydrate it, eat healthy food. Uh, food that's alive, full of prana, not the dead food, not the tamasic food, uh, poisonous food, you know, right. and all sorts of toxins. So if we really love our body, uh, we will treat it right. Yeah, and I would also like to see that um, people creating yoga schools transcend that ego-based uh, ego need of being different and competing with others. This is not yoga, you know. I would like to see when I meet another yoga instructor that we you know we are happy to see each other blossom because you can never you know when you start connecting with the actual teachings of yoga there is no need for, to compete because the richness of yoga is within you it, it radiates through you and you don't have to do anything to be that it becomes part of you your presence is already bringing yoga in into the lives of others right so yoga teachers should uh, nurture that presence within them, what radiates from them and not feel the need to compete and be better and more sexy and more smart or more eloquent you know that's not what it's about so we don't need to create new schools of yoga with new different USPs but start connecting with the original teachings radiating that and simply be joyful to spread that 
you know, uh, to spread that as a means of elevating consciousness. Okay, then let me ask you this, as we bring this interview to a close, what three pieces of advice from this immense canvas of experience that you've had in different countries, with different people, in, in different aspects and careers that you've had, yeah. leaving it all behind and embracing a life where you live simply, your earnings may not be as much, but the richness of your heart has expanded, the people that you embrace, what three pieces of advice, of life wisdom, could you give to our listeners and our audience who could be in any stage of life, any religion, any path or no path, what can they take away from this and start embracing and doing? Well, number one is uh, dare to live your truth. Be authentic. You know, be yourself. Dare to be yourself. Don't try to mold yourself as by other people's expectations. You know, at some point in life, you have to look yourself in the mirror and you have to feel what, what is it that makes you unique and start living that. If some people don't approve, that's their problem. You know, so that's why I bold I'm Debbie Mohan. You know, it's that I have embraced that higher version of myself and I'm moving towards that. So have a goal. What is the highest possible version of yourself? Become, become, that. become that. Start walking in that direction. Number two, go beyond your immediate needs. You know, go beyond focus on yourself. Start uh, seeing what are, what are the ways what where I can contribute. Can Let's say I speak English, there are people now in some other poor community nearby. Let me go teach them English. It doesn't have to be give money to charities, you know. Start sharing your skills, start sharing your attention, your love, feed the birds. Give up yourself. Start opening up, so. go beyond your immediate needs to open up to the field of consciousness and then see how much you get back, you know. So that oneness. So all the practices, the charity, the yoga, the meditation, all that it takes you there. And thirdly, as much as you can, start connecting with those who have already wa walked this path, the people who have mastered the mind, who are the masters. The master is the one who has mastered the mind. Don't be caught up in the mind. So be inspired uh, by such people and look up to the point of possibility of your spiritual awakening, your liberation in this life. I mean, who says you cannot reach that in this life itself? Our entire planet is now rising conscious. This is the best possible time for spiritual awakening. Everything is coming together. We live in an amazing time. This is the time to actually really fulfill the, our dream from God knows how many lives. Right. In this life we can do it because the whole planet is moving. So this is the time to, to live in such a way that's conducive to our nothing less but spiritual liberation. And that's why I can connect with Monji because his teachings are for spiritual liberation. It's not just to feel good and kind of be healthy, be happy, feel good. That, <laughs> that's all nice, but there's actually, for spiritual liberation, you have to overcome your fears, your inhibitions. You have to open up to love, forgive, forget, you know, all that, uh, all the stuff from the past that are weighing you down. You need to drop that luggage, travel light, you know, and start opening up. So it's not easy, you know, if people who are caught in the ego too much, first of all, they can't drop the stuff from the past, they can't forgive, uh, they have all the, they're all the time blaming somebody, you know, so you need to assume responsibility for your spiritual awakening and do whatever you can and don't just blame others that, uh, you know, there's always somebody else's fault. That, that doesn't, with Monji, the gossips and blaming others and all that, he will just cut it. <laughs> he will not let you go down that road. So it's really great uh, 
being in a company of masters, in, in my opinion, is the greatest thing ever. Because uh, at some point, either our spiritual ego rises or this or that happens. So um, to, to find a master and connect with the teachings and be able to ask your questions, clarify your doubts, and then keep walking. That's the, the most amazing thing one can do, in, in my opinion, from my experience. <laughs> and let me just, uh, just clarify one point there. If one isn't fortunate enough to meet a physical master, mm -hmm. a self-realized soul, a mentor on the spiritual path, mm -hmm. is it equally acceptable to embrace books like Autobiography of a Yogi mm -hmm. as a master in the yes. written form? The Guru Tattva, to associate uh, oneself with written literature that yes. is of a spiritually elevating nature. See, the Guru Tattva is alive. The Guru principle, the one who takes us from the darkness into the light, from the fears into the fearlessness, and um, from the false into the truth, that Guru Tattva is within us. And it will express through living masters, through books, through nature, through life lessons. So when we start opening to, towards that, towards that guidance, it will come, naturally it will come. Not everybody has the blessing of having a living master. A living master is a whole new category, as I said, because they work on your causal layer, they cleanse the causal layer of the aura, and when you start, as you walk the path, when you fall into your traps, they are like the mirror to you, so you can see clearly, you have the clarity. But uh, some people, uh, get that through books, through this, through that, it, it comes to them. But if they just aim to get there, everything will fall into place. The right teaching, the right book, it will all come. But first you need to set your intention. The power of attention is really great. You need to have selfless, pure intentions. Like I met Mohanji when I had the intention of serving the world. Right? So it comes back to your first two pieces of advice. Mm, yeah. Live a higher purpose, look beyond your own needs and look to serve and look to establish what you believe is your higher self, your highest purpose in life. And when you start putting your intention in that direction, as yeah. they say, when you're ready, the Guru shows up. Yes, it will, it will definitely show. He will or she will or it will. <laughs> it will guide you, yes. <laughs> Devi, I'm almost speechless and it's rare for me to oh. <laughs> have very little to say. But it has been truly magnificent to be in your presence you. and to hear your story and and not only to hear your story but for you to speak it in such a childlike and wholesome way I, I see no pretentiousness in what you say I I feel no falsity no artificialness in anything you do yeah. or say and your aura reflects that and to be in the company of souls like yourself is what I think we should all aspire for. Oh, so I'm you. blessed <laughs> and I hope that everybody who's been listening and watching our audiences will also resonate with your message and realize that you don't have to have been raised in a conflict-ridden country to reach where you have today. Wherever you are in the world and whatever stage of life you're in, when you set your intention and align it to a purpose greater than your own, yeah. to a higher purpose, to your truer nature, and start to associate with gurus or spiritual persons yes. or people who are on an evolutionary path of a higher nature, yeah. then naturally your life will start taking on a deeper, richer and exactly. more elevated meaning. 
on our path we, we share experiences. I've learned that when I was 14, when I opened my heart, shared, everything kind of changed. So when we share our experiences, many people tell me when they read my blogs and stuff, it, as if it happened to me, I really felt it. So this is the lesson can be imbibed through other people as well. This is our shared humanity, right? You don't have to be refugee like me or have your daughter run over by a truck like Marjis and you don't have to suffer the same things to, to reach there. We can share as long as we overcome certain, you know, we go through certain lessons. Um, this is what Marjis says, when you have a desire, either you have to fulfill it because karma is also unfulfilled desire, or you have to transcend it, overcome it. So when we share our experiences, we help each other overcome certain traps, certain tests, and we can move faster into the higher consciousness, right? That's the beauty of sharing. So um, I'm really working now, I'm adding more and more blogs. I have a blog called Devi Mohan blog on WordPress. It's on my devimohan.com website, you can find it. And um, Moranji has beautiful meditations on moranji.org, which are all free of cost, can be downloaded. Um, I would like to end with one of the most powerful messages from Moranji, which is going vertical. You know, going vertical means going beyond time space, the metrics of this horizontal time and space and the whole um, uh, plateau of karma as it plays out, you can actually cut across that and go vertical. So the masters are inviting us to speed up the evolution. Now everything is speeding up and we don't have time for really long practices. Like Moranji's Kriya is half an hour or some other like if you just embrace early morning Surya Namaskar or something, then a bit of uh, going vertical, breathing technique, you need, you need this every day because everything is so fast that you, you can get lost, you know, or you can get overburdened by the pressures. You're like a pressure cooker. We are right. This is the challenge of the present time. Our children are born into these games and too much of input. Unless we learn to connect with the nature, clean the slate, and go <laughs> vertical, and go vertical, it's going to be really tough. We'll I be stuck you. on the horizontal. Exactly. Yeah. And that is not our purpose. This world is not our home, after all. Yeah, we are here to learn and to elevate. We are not here to get stuck. Hey, folks! Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your personal and spiritual journeys in life. As always, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, subscribe, and share it with those you care about. And take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our unique events, workshops, or retreats, or taking advantage of our personal and professional coaching packages. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.